to cover with you, Ray, uh, uh, is where do you see? I mean, given as one who spent for you 27 years as an analyst inside the in Washington, you had the 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 the, the real <laughs> seat at the front seat of truly understanding, especially when it comes down to back then the Soviet Union and so forth. So my question to you, Ray, is where do you see the Russian-China relations moving forward? given the shifting sands of the global geopolitical landscape. I argued, by the way, I wrote a book about Russia a few years ago, just a few years ago, and I mentioned uh, in it, and please correct me if I'm wrong in this assessment, and I wrote, I, I recall this, that it is just a matter of time before a strategic alliance between China and Russia is formed. And watch out, that's going to change the global geopolitical landscape in more ways than the West cannot influence. Will I be wrong in this, Ray? No, again, you have it right. And I have to confess that I started studying this relationship. Mm -hmm. We used to call it the Sino-Soviet conflict. Conflict. That's what it was. 1963. <laughs> Do the uh, math. Okay. Of it. Yes. That was, that was my first account at the CIA. And in those days, the Russians and the Chinese were at each other's throats. They were shooting each other across the river borders that they have. They were claiming territory. The Chinese were claiming parts of Siberia seized under unequal treaties in the 17th century. Yeah. And was that true? Yes. <laughs> okay. Wow. There were all kinds of things. And the, the, the challenge there was to prove to our ideological leaders that even though they were both communists, mm -hmm. uh, they were at loggerheads. Now, we, we were dismissed, ah, they're both communists. Now, don't be, don't be deceived by all the rhetoric. Well, I'll tell you a little story. I was telling this story without much evidence except the, except the rhetoric and also the involvement in international communist parties around the world. There was a clear jostling for power between uh, Soviet and Chinese factions. In any case, uh, against all the naysayers, uh, a fellow called me up from uh, the imagery people who run the satellites. Okay, in those days, this was 1960s, okay? Uh, we had satellites, but it was not real time. You had to drop a, a bucket of film into the ocean, okay? <laughs> and then the U.S. Navy tried to catch it before it hit the ocean. But they were waterproof. They mm -hmm. got this bucket. They sent it right to Rochester, the Kodak people. And a lot of my buddies went right up there to read it, to read all these things. And I got a call. Ray, you're going to be really happy about this. Why? Well, we just found 15 highly trained, highly equipped Soviet divisions on the Chinese border. Hmm. Wow. Now. Yeah. What further proof was necessary? Those 15 divisions grew to 40 divisions on the Chinese border. And that's when Kissinger and Nixon asked us, wow, you think maybe we can play on this? The Chinese, are, are, are they worried about this? We sure as hell are. Yeah. Well, maybe we can do it. And so you know the rest of that story. Uh, the US was very adroit in exploiting these tensions not only to cultivate better relations with China, but having done that, create fear in Russia 
that the Chinese are stealing a march uh, in cultivating relations with us. And so what happened? So 19, 1971, Kissinger goes to China. 1972, January, yeah, January, I think, uh, Nixon goes to China. What happens next? A Berlin agreement. agreement. Four power agreement on Berlin permitting access. Decades of tight negotiations on that breakthrough. What do we what do we tell Kissinger and Nixon? Look, uh, this is really extraordinary. Uh, it looks like they're afraid that the Chinese are going to develop better relations with you. You probably can, can exploit this. And so they said, well, are they interested in arms control? We said, yeah, they don't want to be driven into an everlasting spending spiral, but also <laughs> they're afraid that the Chinese will, will develop relations So with you. So, uh, yeah, and that's what happened. I had the privilege of being in Moscow for the signing of the Anti-Ballistic Missiles Treaty. And that was part and parcel of something that we successfully persuaded the Russians to do because the Russians didn't have to want to deal with uh, a Chinese enemy at that time and, and a, uh, an American enemy. Now, I just little put a little codicil to that. Mm. Uh, we were so much a part of that, that treaty that uh, Kissinger says, well, uh, Will the, will the Soviets violate this treaty? <laughs> and I said, don't know. Well, if if they do, how how quickly can you, can you tell us? So I went back to the people that run the satellites and so forth. And I said, well, how soon will we know if they build another big radar? And they said, about 10 days. I go back and say, about 10 days, Mr. Kissinger. Okay, we can... We can trust if we can know in 10 days. Now, mm. they went to trust. Verify. Our job was to verify, did the Russians cheat? Yes, they cheated. Did they build a great big new radar? Yes, they did. Where? In the middle of Siberia, a place called Krasnoyarsk. Did we catch him in 10 days? We did. Reagan was in charge at that point. And he said, okay, go show them the photos. Go tell them to tear that thing down. The radar, not the Berlin Wall just yet. Okay. Yeah. Now, they fought it, of course. When Gorbachev came in, he said, All right, Mr. Bush, who was president then, George H.W. Bush, all right, it's a damn ABM radar. We're going to tear it down. Now, what's my point there? We used to talk to these guys, we used to show them what we had in terms of intelligence. You're cheating. This is against the rules. Tear it down. And they did. Now, there's not even any talking, much less yeah. confrontation on the on these basic issues. So you're right. Right now, I would say, in a curious kind of way, that the, the relationship between China and Russia is as tight as that one I described between the U.S. and Israel. Except this one is realistic. This faces a common enemy in terms yeah. of the imperial United States. Right. They are very close. And I've been saying for a couple of years now, maybe it's because I read your book, that if there's a dust-up in Ukraine, there will be a dust-up in the South China Sea as well. And our military planners will have to wake up and say, oh, do we really want to have a two-front war? Which we can't afford. Which we can't afford, Ray. And we're not even equipped. Our military is not up to it. And now we have the Middle East. So, you know, they say... 
three's a charm, right? <laughs> did, the, did these these blinkered Blinkens and and Sullivan? They think, well, yeah, we can handle Janet Janet no. Yellen, the treasurer. Oh, can we fund that? Of course, we got enough money. No. These guys are delusional, and I just hope that reality will sink in once it's clear that the Russians have won militarily in Ukraine, which they have already done. And once it's clear that Israel's not going to be working, able to work its will in Gaza as they always have been able to yeah. do in the past. Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting point, right? Just for our viewers, for those who are just joining us here, I'm having a conversation here with Ray McGovern. He's a former uh, CIA analyst for almost 27 years. So uh, the idea of what you just talked about, Ray, uh, I'm, I'm leaning towards saying now that the new global order, this multipolar system that is upon us now, I know there are those in Washington, I still talk to some folks in D.C., that is still the thinking persists as, no, 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 the earth still the sole power of a superpower. I said, no, that era is gone. Wake up to the reality. We are entering into a multipolar system by which it's not going to be pushed by ideology. Rather, it's going to be pushed by economic blocks. Am I fair in this assessment, Ray? I think you're absolutely right. You know, the key words are exceptional mm -hmm. or even indispensable. Indeed. Now, you'll recall that Madeleine Albright under President Clinton coined the word indispensable. We are the indispensable nation in the world. We no, can we do don't. whatever we want. We have a very powerful armed forces. Mm -hmm. She turns to Colin Powell and she says, why don't we use them more? You know, you brag about these great armed forces. Why don't we use them? So that was the attitude. OK, and that attitude was so insidious that when we launched sanctions on Iraq, mm -hmm. 500,000 children under the age of five died, died, okay? Now, when she was asked about that, Leslie Stahl, who used to be one of these uh, interviewers, she's pretty mm -hmm. prominent, uh, her conscience was clearly bothering her. She says, now, Miss, uh, Madam Secretary Albright, 50, 500,000 children, uh, you think it's worth it? And Albright said, yes, it's worth it. We think it's worth it, okay? Now, that's the attitude. Why do I go back to that? Because I was always wondering, now, does Biden really believe this kind of thing, that it's worth it, you know, yeah. that it's worth 500,000 young Ukrainian men being killed just to pursue this proxy war against Russia? Does he think that? Well, I got an answer to that, okay? A month and a half ago, he was up in Maine campaigning, and he's in a, a private uh, a private house, and he's in the living room, and he's talking to people, and he talks about Madeleine Albright, how wonderful she was, and how she uh, had it exactly right, that we are the only indispensable country. We were exceptional, and guess what? He said that in his speech right after, right after the, the lid blew off Gaza, okay? So... What am I saying here? These guys actually believe this. And it's going to be a, a rude awakening when the American people learn that what Biden said two months ago, oh, Russia has already lost in Ukraine. 
And what the head of the CIA said the next week, not only have the Russians lost, the ineptitude of their military power has been, has been exposed for the whole world to see. My God! Now, where do they, they're not getting their information from us veteran intelligence professionals for sanity. There's no sanity there at all. So what am I saying here? I'm saying these people have a real comeuppance coming. And how are they going to explain when it's very clear that Kiev has lost, that there's no prospect of getting enough more arms, uh, more Mickey Mat profits to, to Kiev? Uh, they've lost. Now, if Ukraine is seen to be lost, which is inevitable in my view in the next couple of months, not mm -hmm. only that they lost, but they are, uh, they are acknowledged to have lost. What's going to happen? These guys have their eyes on the next election, right? Mm -hmm. If Ukraine is lost, the election is lost. Not only that, if mm -hmm. the election is lost, our freedom might be lost. Lost. They have the goods in court testimony, other court documents on bribery allegations on Joe Biden, as well as his son. They know that Tony Blinken uh, tried to fix the election for Biden when he whooped up that story about the 51 former intelligence oh, yeah. leaders that said that Hunter's laptop had all earmarks of a Russian intelligence yeah. disinformation yeah. campaign yeah. a bald-faced lie but three days before the last debate between trump and biden and and trump naturally says well what about that laptop you know shows not only lascivious activity but signs of bribery what about that and joe biden says oh mr trump don't you understand that 50, 50 intelligence leaders, including three former leaders of the CIA, have said that that bears all the earmarks of a Russian intelligence disinformation operation. Come on. Now, the, the election happens within the next week. Biden wins. Now, am I saying that he might not have won? I don't know. It's hard to yeah. prove that kind of thing, but it certainly helped. My, what's my point? Blinken is guilty as sin on that because their court testimony from the head, of, an acting head of the CIA saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blinken made me do it. Okay. And <laughs> Sullivan, of course, Sullivan is responsible for this whole Russiagate stuff, including the spurious charge hmm. that the Russians hacked into the DNC emails, so prejudiced to, to uh, uh, Hillary Clinton. Nobody hacked into those emails. And we know that also from court testimony, which in the next five days, David, yeah. will be six years old. old. And Americans have never heard that the head of the cyber firm that looked into those DNC emails found out that the Russians didn't hack them. There was no technical evidence that anyone hacked them. Now, that was testimony taken on the 5th of December, 1917. Do the math. On the 15th of December next week, it will be six years. You, you check with your American friends and see if they know that the Russian hacking thing was manufactured by the likes of, of Jacob Sullivan and Tony Blinken. Yeah. And uh, they'll say, wow, come on. What are you in? Trump's popping? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we have to work on that. And that's why I'm so delighted to 
be able to chat with your audience, yeah. David, because I suspect they are interested in this kind of truth. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, Ray, just just uh, off, 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 off a sideline here. Uh, I did check on that and it was no Russian involvement. I, I did contact some people. Let me ask you a last question on this part here and we're going to move into Ukraine because this sure. question... Uh, a lot of, of our viewers here in channels been asking, wanted to, so especially from uh, a well-established analyst such as yourself, the, the, the opinion will matter here. So, and of course, matters of opinion, but I, I trust your judgments and respect your opinion as one who read a lot about you uh, during my days in Washington. So this is, to me, that's how I learn. As an analyst myself, I had to look in the past. I learned from history. And I looked through the individuals who went through the system with some credibility and so forth. And uh, so the question, Ray, is this. Can a hot war launch between the U.S. and China? And if so, will we see Russia, North Korea, and Iran aligning with China? In other words, you're going to see the... We already hearing the talk about the formation of this alliance between those four countries china russia north korea and iran now if there is a hot war regarding the taiwan issue i don't foresee this but just let's just hypothetically ask the question what if would you see that the russians north koreans and the iranians will come to the support of china i do see that uh wow. this uh, burgeoning alliance between not only china and Russia, hmm. but North Korea and Iran, uh, these people have a common enemy, let's face it, you know? Yes. Um, now, the U.S. has a really weird policy with respect to China. Mm -hmm. uh, again, it's a sort of an ideological, uh, we're exceptional and indispensable policy. Uh, the first time that the new President Biden addressed this issue was six weeks after he had been elected. And he got up and he said, you know, the Chinese, they, uh, they aspire to be the most powerful, powerful political, economic. They, they aspire to be the most powerful country in the world. But that's not going to happen on my watch. <laughs> yeah. You know, and everybody, yeah, yeah. Well, why not? <laughs> the Chinese <laughs> attitude is, yeah. why can't we have a, why can't we have a win-win? I mean, yeah, we haven't really had a war with anybody for a really long time. Like maybe uh, except for a little fracas with the Vietnamese, uh, Vietnamese. Yeah. a couple of millennia. <laughs> okay, so let's get along. Why can't we just get along? Well, again, the Mickey Mat is a real power here. If the U.S. Navy says, "Oh my God." China wants to be the supreme power. We can't let it do that. So we have to double the size of our Navy. And then, you know, Biden's attitude, you know, I, I hate to reduce it to this, but some of your older listeners will remember cowboy films, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe some of you younger. So, the, so this fellow comes into town and he says, you know, I don't think this town, I don't think this town is big enough for both of us, right? Mm. Well, that's what Biden is saying here to the Chinese. Hey, the Pacific Ocean? Oh, I don't think it's big enough for both of us. And so we have U.S. naval ships hugging the Chinese coast. We have, we have bombers 
that are capable of carrying nuclear weapons going very close to China. One of them was kind of buzzed by a Chinese fighter bomber. The, the, the information was it came within 10 feet. I can hardly believe 10 feet, but the, the, when the Chinese were, when they complained to the Chinese, Chinese says, well, well, what are you going to do about it? You're in our area here. Yeah. And the Chinese, I think, atypically are willing to accept you know, an incident there, which should show that, you know, this is our, this is like our Caribbean, okay? You're welcome to sail in there, but you're not welcome to have very strong naval forces, air forces, and worst of all, threaten to arm Taiwan to the teeth so we'll never be re reunited. I agree with you. I don't think Xi Jinping has any idea of conquering Taiwan no. militarily. Okay, why would he? It's inevitable. It's going to happen. And indeed, the U.S. agreed that Taiwan was an integral part of China. Oh, China. Most Americans don't know that. Okay, that was in '71. Okay, so that's still our policy. So what are we doing? Well, the Mickey Mantis making lots of money, uh, um, equipping and arming yeah. Taiwan, and the Chinese unnecessarily or understandably uh, upset about that. So. This is come. The Chinese used to have an expression when they were not so, you know, not so erudite. They used to say, "This will come to a no good end." Okay. Mm. Well, let's hope that enough reasonable voices in the United States, outside the administration, would have to be right now. Yeah. Say, look, do you really want to get involved in a war with China? Because you have a war in Europe now, in Ukraine. Do you really want to do a two-front war? And I agree with you. I think the Russians would not stand by idly, as the diplomatic diplomatic expression goes. No, with the Iranians. Uh, no, with the North Koreans. Now, I'm going to divulge a little non-secret to you, yeah. David. Yeah. We have extremely accurate um, technical evidence that the Russians have given one of their very late model. Uh, inter intercontinental ballistic missiles to North Korea. Korea, I, I I confirm this one, Ray. I confirm it because I checked on it. You're right. I ICBMs. Now you are right. Uh, Ted Postel, who knows more about this than anyone, he's a professor emeritus uh, physics from MIT. Mm. Worked for the for the head of the naval operations in the Pentagon for many years. Uh, he says, "Look here." Here's the technical evidence, and it's exactly the Topol missile. Okay, now that surprised the hell out of me. I am I am always willing to be surprised, but you know this happens so rarely that this kind of surprise. Why would the Russians? I mean, this this is not my idea of Putin. The North Koreans, you know, you want to give a missile like this to a country that you don't control? Well, I think I think. Maybe if this is all pans out and it seems to be conclusive evidence. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Jacob Sullivan was asked about this at a press conference about two months ago. What about this missile? And he said, oh, we're working on that. So it's not that they don't know about it. They just don't want it to get around. Why? Because if true, it shows that the, the Russians are so upset. And so willing to play fast and loose, not only in Ukraine, but now with this relatively unpredictable 
behavior type in North Korea that they will they will face the U.S. with this additional threat. And they are together in a way that they haven't been for decades, the Russians and the North Koreans. And I've checked with my Chinese experts. They say the Chinese must have winked at this, much, must have acquiesced in it. Uh, the Russians and North Koreans are not going to do something like that without the Chinese buy-in. So there again, you know, Russia, China, North Korea. Iran is a separate issue, but they are... They are also uh, becoming, in effect, a de facto ally of these other three. Very, very interesting. And thank you for answering this question, because I can see the trends of what's taking place right now. For example, with the uh, upcoming uh, opening of NATO's office in Tokyo, why would NATO go all the way to Japan for? I'm looking also at the, uh, the U.S. building a naval uh, hub in India. Well, I'm looking at the Australia, I'm looking at New Zealand, I'm looking at the Quad. All this, to me, gives a hint as one who thinks, I tend to think down the road, the next 10, 15, 20 years. And, and, and I'm glad you answered that question, Ray. So let's...